So Philippians 3, verses 12 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I want to start by asking a question. Hopefully I don't dig up any old deep scars or wounds by asking this question. But the question is, is, is this. I'm just wondering, am I alone today? Is there anybody here that has regrets from your life? Anybody here that has regrets? I imagine that, that there's an overwhelming amount of yeses in the room. Yes, I have regrets. I have things that, and again, my goal is not to conjure up, you know, things from your past and things like that. My goal today is to help us biblically see how we can move past those regrets. There's, I have a lot of regrets in my life. I have a lot of things that I've said, a lot of things that I've done. I wish I wouldn't have done and wish I wouldn't have said, you know, there's, there's regrets. I could, many regrets I could tell you about that. that, uh, There's one in particular I thought about as I was getting ready for this message. There's one that I I remembered. Uh, We used to do Christmas plays here at at the church and we don't do them anymore. It's not that there's anything wrong with them. We just don't do them. Um, But we did one one year. Pastor Brian was the director of the play. Phenomenal director, Pastor Brian was. And and he gave me a small part. It was probably very smart. He gave me a small part. But in that small part, I wanted a big laugh, right? Because it was a funny part. And I wanted to do everything I could to get a big laugh. So even in practices, when we would get together and practice these plays, if anybody knows me well, you know that I can be a little crazy sometimes. And so I would be crazy in those practices and I would not do things the same way. Every practice I'm, I'm trying to fill it out. What's going to be the funniest. What's going to get the biggest laugh. And I was messing with particularly one person. I was kind of aggravating them because they were supposed to have a line right after me and they couldn't follow along with my foolishness and know what was going to be next. And they wanted me to just simply just stay in some area to give them a cue. And I was just frustrating to them because I wouldn't work with them. And I look back at that and I think I was young, I was dumb, you know? And so I look back and I kind of regret, I, I do regret those, those actions. And there's a lot more actions in my life. I could, we could take all day. You don't want that for me to list to you things that, that I regret. And there's more sh- extreme regrets that, that I have. And I'm sure you have. And it's probably not just regrets that are around things you said or things you did. There's probably regrets around things you didn't say, didn't do, inactions in your life. You, you may regret not applying for a certain job and that you knew you had a chance to apply for. You may uh, regret not taking a job when you had the opportunity to take a job that was offered to you. You may regret not investing in that stock when you found out right? If you knew what Amazon was going to be, you would have invested years ago, right? You might regret some of that. There might be phone calls you regret not making. There's all kinds of things that, that we have the opportunity to regret in our life. A couple of years ago, there was a psychologist by the name of Adrian Camilleri, and he, he wrote, he, he did some research and some study around regret in people's lives. And he wrote this article and wrote about his findings in psychology today. And he, and he, put a couple of his insights, two of his main insights, basically from his research. I'm going to share those with you. They may not surprise you, but he says it this way. Intense long-term regret often stems from poorly made big life decisions. And you might say, I can relate to that. 
You can look back on some big life decisions that you made and they might not have been the wisest decision. And maybe you've got regrets that, that come from that. Another insight that he has, he said, the biggest regrets tends to, tend to relate to social relationships. So a lot of times those are the first ones that come to your memory. You think about the relationships you had and, and things that happen in them and you regret it. While the most enduring or the most long lasting regrets tend to be for actions not taken, Right? Those things that that last the longest in our life that sometimes might be the hardest to get past are the ones that we, where we were inactive and that's what we regret. Now, some regrets, they, they're not as deep and they're not as hard to get over. We can get over those a little bit quickly. Other regrets leave deeper scars. They're harder to get over. One other study uh, that was done in personality and social uh, psychology, uh, uh, it, it made this statement. It said that about 90% of adults have deep regrets about their lives. And the more they dwell on it, the worse their quality of life tends to get. Right. I mean, that makes sense. You, you, you've got a regrets in your life. And the more you think, and you're like, Javen, you're not helping me at all right now. But the more you think about it, the more you dwell on it. It's like the worse your quality of life gets. And if you struggle with math, let me explain 90% to you. If 10 people stood up, nine of those 10 people would have this problem. All right. All right. It, but we're, we're smart. We know what that means. So we know that that means the majority of this room has deep regrets in our life. That when we linger in them, it's hard for us to get past it. And it messes with our life. It affects us. There's one other statement that Camilleri made in his study in Psychology Today. He said this, he said, Regrets can potentially be avoided by making decisions consistent with your values. Now, I want you to put a little mental asterisk beside that. And I'm going to come back and explain why that asterisk is there in just about 30 seconds. Right, but there, the guy that wrote the words that Hank read for us in our opening scripture, in this, in this letter that he wrote to the church of Philippi, Philippians chapter 3, that we read, this guy was the apostle Paul. And Paul had a lot of regrets from his past in his life that could wait on him and affected the quality of his life. But he was able not to let those things hinder him. But here's where the asterisk comes into play. Because see, the decisions that Paul made in his life that he could come to regret, he made those decisions based on what he valued at that time in his life. But see, Paul's life changed. And so because his life changed, his values changed. And because his values changed, he changed the way he made his decisions in life. So not only do we need to keep in mind that the decisions, we, when we make decisions based on our values, that can help us avoid regret. We need to make sure the values we have are worth valuing. Because if the values are not healthy values, the decisions are going to be poor decisions. And they're going to lead to regret. But Paul makes this statement. He says, I've not obtained perfection yet. He is not proclaiming in the least to be perfect. 
So that means that Paul is saying there's probably things that happen within his life, even from time to time still. Things he says, things he doesn't say, things he does, things he doesn't do, that he might have these small regrets over, or or regrets can pop up from time to time. But what he's saying is the way that he's able to live his life and not live weighed down by the regret lost in his regret, losing quality of life in what he does because of his regret. The way he's able to move from it is by the grace of God. It's the grace of God in his life. There's one other, another time where he wrote to the, his first letter to the church of Corinth. He says something very similar. We see it in first Corinthians chapter 15. He makes this statement in verse nine. He says, for I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And we'll come back and look at that more in just a minute. But he says, whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me and not without results. He says, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles. Yet it's not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. And that's the key. Now we can read that last statement there and we can say, well, that kind of sounds like a boastful statement. And Paul should regret making that boastful statement. But I don't think Paul's being boastful in the least. I think he's saying, he's literally saying he worked hard. It it, it literally means that he worked himself to the point of exhaustion. But what he's saying is the reason he's able to do that, the reason he's able to work that hard, and the reason he's able to look past his past decisions is only because of the grace of God in his life. It's only by the grace of God. See, Paul is, is, is showing to us that he's acknowledged there are decisions in his past that were not good decisions. But he's not allowed those decisions to stop him from receiving God's forgiveness and receiving God's grace. And as Paul moves forward in his life, he leans heavily on the grace of God. The unmerited favor of of God in his life. So what is this past? You might know it. You might not have any idea what Paul's past is. Paul had a, a tremendous past in relation to the church. And so I want us to go to Acts chapter 26 and we're going to read, we don't often read whole chapters of the Bible, but there's nothing wrong with it. I want us to read this because what this is, what Acts chapter 26 is, is it is Paul's testimony. It is his story of God's transforming power in his life and what exactly the grace of God did to him. And as we read this, I want you to pay attention. I want you to see how what he did in the beginning of his life, the decisions that he made that became a part of his past that could have been deep regret. He made those decisions based on values he had at that time. But then God transformed his life and now he lives his life making decisions without regret for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look at Acts chapter 26. Paul is in, he is, he is being tried in court because of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has asked for a certain person to come to lead this uh, court and lead that courtroom. And so here we are in Acts chapter 26. This is what's happening. Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak to in your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. So I just want you to read with me. And listen to the testimony of Paul. He says, I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert 
on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. He says, as the Jewish leaders are well aware, I was given a a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they knew that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect of our religion. Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. In fact, that's why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day. And they share the same hope I have. Yet your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? I mean, even where he is now, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I used to believe, this was his values. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priest. About noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? Because Paul recognized there was an authority about this person who was speaking to him. And then the Lord replied, that's why it's in capital L. And he said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open up their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me, Paul's transformation. And he, and, and so King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea and also to the Gentiles that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. And then listen, prove they have changed by the good things they do. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me, but God has protected me right up to this present time. So I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except that what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead. And in this way, announce God's light to the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus, who was another one of these high priests, he shouted out. He said, Paul, you are insane. Too much study has made you crazy. But Paul replied, he said, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is the truth. 
the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa interrupts him. He says, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? (laughs) I love these words from Paul. Paul replied, and he said, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone in this audience might become the same as I am just without these chains. Paul is letting them know. He said, look, I've got things in my past that I did that could weigh on me hard as regret. But Jesus changed my life. And now everything I do, I do for him and for his gospel without regret. And you might think, well, how how can Paul do this? How can Paul forget his past so easily? How can he move on so quickly? And you ask that and you think that because you know that your past doesn't stay in the past. Your past rears its ugly head often because it wants to keep you in the past. It doesn't want you to move on from the past. Listen, in this moment, I think about Paul's peer in the ministry during this time. And his peer, one of his peers was Peter. And while Paul was being trained by some of the most uh, infamous, some most famous uh, Jewish rabbis, and leaders of that day. And even history records them as some of the most prominent Jewish rabbis. Paul was being trained by them. Peter was being trained by God himself, by Jesus Christ. And there was one night right before Jesus's arrest, when Jesus was having his last supper, we talk about when we have communion, he was having his last supper with his disciples, dinner with them. And he looks at them and he tells them, guys, one of you is going to betray me. And I imagine that room felt deathly quiet like it is right now. And they're probably looking at each other like, who? And then he tells them, he says, but all of you are going to scatter. All of you are going to run. And Peter, in his boldness, he looks, he's like, no, wait, wait, Jesus, not me. Not, I would never, I would never do that, Jesus. I, I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to disown you. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to be right by your side the whole time. And Jesus looks at me and says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. I want you to, to see the explanation of, or, or, or this happened. This is Luke's uh, writing of, of what took place. And, and Luke tells us at the beginning of his writing that he investigated this whole time period thoroughly. So I imagine that he is writing down what Peter told him happened, what Peter expressed to him took place. And so Luke's telling about this moment at Luke chapter 22, just for 61 and 62. He says, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's minds. This was right after he denied him three times. These were Jesus' words that flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny three times that you even know me. And what happens to Peter? Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Why? Because he was feeling emotions that many of us have felt in our life. He walked away immediately with a trifecta of emotions. He had guilt right away. And he's probably thinking, I can't believe that just happened. 
I can't believe I just did that. He's got shame. What are the disciples going to say when they find out? What are the other guys going to say when they realize that, that I did this and he's got regret? Oh, I wish I could go back and change what I did. I wish I could do something differently. And I've often had the thought, you know, every time from that day forward, Peter was living his life, every time a rooster crowed, did it remind him of what he did? Think about the weight that that had the potential to put on Peter every time a rooster crowed. And listen, if you've never been around roosters, roosters crow a lot. It's not just when the sun's coming up. It's not like the cartoons, right? They crow and they aggravate the hang out of you. I couldn't have a rooster. Those of you that, I'll pay you a dollar something for my eggs. I know they went up a little bit more here recently, but I mean, you know, I can't handle the rooster in my yard. Until I have to, I can't deal with it. But, but we were in Dominican one year. We were sleeping on a mission trip and we were sleeping in tents out in the field. And, and there were roosters that would just walk around. And one loved to walk right beside my tent. I'm pretty sure it was right beside my tent. And it would just start crowing. And I wanted to wring that thing's neck. I'm like, would you shut? Ah, I mean, this is... But roosters don't stop, right? And you think, what is going through Peter's mind? I don't think Peter, if he lived today, I don't think he could have been a Gamecock fan, guys. I'm sorry. If you're a Gamecock fan, I don't think he could have done I don't think he could have went to those games. Un- or by the grace of God, maybe he could. And it could be an incredible testimony, right, of the grace of God that he could do. But listen, you've got a spiritual enemy that's crowing at you every day. And he's trying to remind you of your regrets. He's trying to, he's crowing at you, telling you every day, you are unforgivable. You are unlovable. You are unusable. He does not want you to move on from your past. He does not want you to grab a hold to what God has for you next. He wants you to live under the weight of your regret. Because he knows if you let go of what's in the past, that you're opening yourself up for God to use you in some amazing ways. That's why Paul was saying he had to let it go. That's why he wrote what he wrote to the Philippians. That's why he wrote to what he wrote to the Corinthians. That's why he said what he said in that courtroom. And I'm thankful that's why Jesus had the conversation with Peter that he had. You can read about it in John chapter 21. That Peter, or Jesus is after his resurrection and he shows up on the shore of where the disciples are out on the water and they're fishing and he calls for them to come in and or they realize it's him and he calls for them to come in and Peter, of course, jumps out of the boat and comes as quickly as he can, really just leaving all the other disciples to have to drag the boat in to shore, right? But, but he gets there and then Jesus is like, Peter, let's have a conversation. And you wonder, what's Peter thinking in this moment? Because if anybody's ever come to you and said, hey, we need to talk, usually your heart sinks, right? Your stomach sinks. You're like, oh goodness, what is this about? And you wonder, is Peter, is Peter sitting there thinking, are we going to sit down and, 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 and Jesus is about to tell me, so <laughs> shame to yourself, right? You, you feel guilty, Peter, about what you did? I told you, Peter, that was going to happen, right? And it's possible that we think that could be the conversation. At least I think that could be the conversation because that's how we treat things. We don't really let help people get past 
their past because we're constantly reminding them of what they did, what they did. We're not helping people heal and helping people move forward. And, you know, obviously there's things sometimes in life and depending on what, where you are and, and in the church, the church has had to deal with this often. And sometimes the church has failed in how well we handle situations that, that, that should have been handled differently. But th- there's things where, where people have done things and, and yes, because of what they've done, they, they need to step back. They need to face what they did. They need to face the situation. But that doesn't mean repentance can't take place. It doesn't mean restoration can't take place. They might not hold what be in the same place that God had them before, but it doesn't mean restoration can't take place and healing can't take place. It doesn't mean God can't still use people who mess up if they're willing to face it, repent of it, and turn from it. And that's why I'm thankful that Jesus sat down with Peter and had the conversation that he had with Peter. And he looked at Peter and he said, three times, Peter, do you love me. And I don't think it went unnoticed to Peter that he asked him that question three times. And Peter denied Jesus three times. But all three times when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? I don't think he's doing that to make Peter think about his regret. He's doing that to let Peter know that his love for him is greater than Peter's past decisions. And all three times that Jesus asked Peter the question, do you love me? Every single time he pointed Peter to his call. He didn't remind him, well, you denied me. He said, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Because that was his call. He pointed him to his call. A perfect past is not a qualification for God's call on your life. The qualification of God's call in your life is Jesus' presence in your life. The transformation that His Holy Spirit has done in you and through you. God uses imperfect people every day to transform the world around us by His perfect grace. God can use you. We can't let the past weigh on us and hold us down. And Jesus is saying, Peter, don't focus on what you did. What you did. Focus on the action that I have done for you when I died on that cross for you and I showed you how much I love you. Don't give your past and your decisions that weight because Jesus broke the power that holds open the door to your past and sin when he died on that cross for you and he rose from the dead. Let go of of past regret and grab hold of the call for what God has for you next. And you might be sitting here saying, Javen, I need something a little bit more practical than that. Because you're just telling me let go of the past and grab hold of what's next. I, I mean, you can say that, but it's not that easy to do. I think Paul has some instruction for us on that as well. If you think back to the words from Philippians 3, and ain't read. He said he pressed on towards the mark, towards the finish line. He pressed on. He 
kept moving forward. It was race terminology. And he wrote something similar to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We see it. It's in that first letter of the church of Corinth, verse 24. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So what does he tell them to do? Run to win. You need to run the race of your life to win. So cheat. No, (laughs) no, 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 no. Choose discipline. Choose to be disciplined. Paul is saying you've got to be passionate about your life and what God has called. Be passionate about him. Be focused on what he's calling you to. Let him grow you in your life. And Paul makes, he references this truth that's still a truth today. He points to these people who ran and competed in the Isthmian Games was something very similar to the Olympics that we see in our day. It's something that we see about athletes in every level of sports who are trying to get to that next level. They choose discipline in their life. And they do everything they can to discipline themselves, to do what they need to do, to give them the chance to win if they can. Now, these guys in these games back in this day, man, they were serious too. Charles Spurgeon references the history of this in in these games. And he talks about the fact that those who ran in races and even wrestled. So these guys, these people would wear very little clothing and sometimes nothing at all. That's a little gross, right? But they did that because they didn't want anything to get in the way of them winning. They didn't want anything to trip them up. They didn't want anything to entangle them, to tie them up, to keep them from being able to winning what they were going to win. I can tell you this. If I'm in a wrestling match with you and you show up naked, you win, right? We're raising your hand, okay? I'm not even getting on the mat, all right? The author of Hebrews, many people believe it to be Paul. We don't know that definitely. But the author of Hebrews says something very similar to this. Hebrews chapter 12, he tells them, he says, when you, when you run your race and you need to throw off everything that hinders you. You need to strip away, he said, everything that entangles you. The sin that entangles your life. So what is Paul saying? What's the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying, run the race of your life. Live your life with purpose and get rid of every distraction in your life. So if you want practicality, I believe that's pretty practical. Be purposeful. Throw out everything that distracts you. Choose discipline over regret. One of the first things you need to do is you need to talk to God about your past. And it helps too to talk to a trusted person Someone that you're in relationship with in your, in your life that you trust, talk to them about things. Because here's the thing. If you don't talk about your past and the things of your past, you will allow the pain of your past to limit the potential of your present and your future. You've got to talk about it. You've got to get it out. You've got to get out what's weighing on you. If you have to talk to someone professionally, then find someone professionally who is a counselor, who is a Bible-believing Jesus follower, and who can help you in your life and speak into you. That's fine but you got to talk about it. 
And then you've got to accept forgiveness. And you need to forgive yourself. And you need to embrace healing. Learn from it. Yes. Don't dwell in it. Focus on what God has for you next. Live your life every day praising God. Praise Him when you wake up that that you've got breath in your body that day. Praise Him as you move forward in every opportunity you have. Focus on God and surround yourself with healthy community in your life. Surround yourself with people that are going to speak into you and pour into you and encourage you. If the past tries to rear its ugly head, the past tries to reignite your regret, I'll give you just two passages of scripture that you can write down, that you can put on a mirror in your bathroom, you can put it in your car, you can memorize it, will be even better. Psalm chapter 42, verse 5. The author of this psalm says, Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Why is it so downcast? It says, I'm going to put my hope in God. I will praise him again. I'm going to praise God again. I'm going to put my hope in him. No matter how I'm wanting to feel, I'm going to remember where my hope is and I'm going to praise God. The prophet Jeremiah wrote in these words in a very dark time in his life, Lamentations chapter three. And he talked about the pain and the suffering, the thought of my suffering, the homelessness is bitter beyond words. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. But then watch what he says. Even though, even though he's grieving in the loss and everything he's dealing with, he says, I'm still going to dare to hope because I remember this truth. The faithful love of God never ends and his mercies are new every morning. The faithfulness faithfulness of God has not ceased and his mercies are there tomorrow morning when I wake up. Today might not have went the way I wanted it to go. Tomorrow morning is a new morning. If Jesus gives me life tomorrow morning and allows me to live another day, then I wake up in a new day under new mercies from him, from the heavenly father. It's our hope. It's who we have. It's what we have from him. When you're tempted to think back to your past, get caught up in your regret, choose discipline over regret. Call to mind the faithfulness of God in your life, even when you didn't even recognize it. You can look back on your past and you can think about the bad decisions you made, or you can look back on your past and recognize the fact that God was being faithful and waiting on you the whole time, even in the middle of those bad decisions. God's grace is bigger than your past. You are fully known by God. He knows everything about you, but yet you are still fully loved. You are fully loved by him. Is it a process? Yes. But you're not alone. My daughter ran track last year. When I went to these meets, It was fun to watch her, of course, run and compete. But it was also fun to watch the coaches in the infield, to watch the teammates in the infield and surrounding the track, to watch the fans and the the spectators, the parents, the family, the friends. They're watching as well. Because every race that that was run, as soon as that gun sounded, 
And those runners took off. It didn't matter if they were running a quick hundred meters or if they were running two miles. The coaches on that infield were running down the sides with their runners. They were cheering them on. They were yelling at them, go, go, go. The teammates were standing around that track, inside that track, yelling the same thing. Go, go, go. They were there for them as soon as they crossed that finish line. Every spectator that was around, they were yelling at at, at these people who were running. They were yelling at, at people on their team and even people not on their team, encouraging them. Go, go, go. Every one of these people were running their race to win. And every time these coaches, these teammates, and spectators were cheering, they were cheering them on, whether they were the first one in line and literally going to win or the last one and not going to win the prize because they knew they were running as if they could win. And they were cheering them on to run that way. You are surrounded. That's why you need people. That's why we need what Hank was mentioning, groups and things that are opening up tonight and this uh, men's Bible study tonight, uh, the group that dives into the messages on Sunday mornings is starting back up tonight. The children and youth will be meeting tonight. Ladies Bible study Tuesday night. More groups will be popping up. One starting this Friday. You can find these online. You can see when they're popping up. I encourage you, find one of those. You need to be surrounded by people. You need to let people cheer you on, encourage you. Because you are surrounded by a body who loves you. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who's gone before you. And you are surrounded in your life by the Holy Spirit every day who wants to pour into your life. Let go of the past. Grab a hold of what God is calling you to next. Choose discipline over regret. Let Him change your life and run your race to win. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccanbin.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.